You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. In this week's program, Father Paul takes questions on Genesis chapter 19, dealing with the action of Lot's daughters and the trap of reading in translation. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. It's very striking, Father Paul, that in verse 36, to secure progeny, they had to violate the law. I mean, incest is obviously highly problematic. Can you say something about that? It tells you that otherwise there would not have been anything. It's like with the flood. If the flood would not have taken place, then we would not have been here talking and doing the podcast. And the progeny and the zera, remember, let's go back to the flood. See, we heard about the flood, which we have to use in understanding here. One more time, zera, like the play on progeny, offspring, and so on, is dangerous in translations. Because in Hebrew and in the Semitic languages, and in Greek even, sperma, the same word with the same connotation applies to the human being and to the vegetation. You don't have a different word. And all this was put way back before the flood under the ages of God's blessing. That's how you continue. And ultimately, that's why whatever you think of yourself, whether you came through a sacred marriage between a man and a wife that loved one another, and they were blessed by a priest and a bishop of the Orthodox Church, and you conclude that thus your children otherwise, no way, Jose would say scripture. A human being is a human being. We know exactly how and where a human being comes from, period. And that's the way of life. Ethics, scripture has nothing to do with ethics. It's not interested. The good is always what God wants. And from the beginning, you have to have offspring like the example that I give in my class when people get excited, the ultimate call of life is that we would all become monks and nuns and so on. That's ridiculous. Because in 50 years, there will be no human beings. As simple as that. Okay, so I know this is hard for... Uh, Western ear because the Westerners all together 
are Puritans. That's why I like to refer now and then to the Mormons, where somehow man can have more than one wife. Now, sitting down and arguing and so on and so forth, well, no, we have Salt Lake City, we have Utah, we have a state, we have two senators, we have... You begin with what is what you have. Otherwise, you either become selective or worse, you start thinking that you are the origin of life around you. And you know my criticism against super-spiritualism and texts like this remind us that we are what we are. Okay? Remember Hosea, the Lord said to the prophet, go and marry a harlot. I mean, this is worse than this story. What do you mean he told him to marry a harlot? But listen to the rest of the story. Because it's the same way. It's a land of harlotry and everybody is harloting. But instead of completely destroying Shahat, everybody, he does repeatedly what he did in this classic text of the flood, that he kept the Zera continuing. Notice the importance, the three sons and their wives, very important. Because the begetting by the three sons took place after the flood according to the text they had children so that's something we have to bear with and ultimately if I, it's a leap technically from the story of the text but it's not a leap concerning the instruction for our behavior okay it's like people can't have children yeah, but I would like to have my child and thus I would like to have my semen so that I would say, you can do it. Okay? And you're going to pay lots of money. Now you can adopt. You still pay money, but somehow less than that. Coming from the perspective of realism, what is there? What's the difference? And here comes to mind uh, this uh, great example of the Roman Empire where uh, childhood, childship, if you like, is based on a decision by the father. Everybody is adopted. And I was watching a series on the Roman Empire where very clearly, I mean, scholars were making their comments that the trouble started with that great emperor who was a philosopher, Marcus Aurelius. Notice how philosophy is the beginning of the end. He was a great guy, he wrote and so on. 
but he was the first emperor that gave importance to progeny in relation to the empire and he reared his son Commodus to become an emperor and that was the beginning of the end because he was stuck with him he said that's my son that was his reference first of all you have to start with a human being and the human being we know how it comes the being comes and that's the power of this story technically when you hear Hosea what's the difference between the two daughters of Lot and Israel in Hosea you want to call them harlots no problem with me <laughs> but it is what God does with the real harlotry is not listen to God I'm asking the people to listen to what I'm saying and then figure out whether it fits the text and not what does it mean for us today as Luther taught everybody every time you have to ask what does it mean for us today well you could ask that but the answer should be without offspring there is nothing going on and this always in scripture is a gift of God notice how it starts with God remembering Abraham in other words even the plan of the two daughters with their father would not have taken place were it not for God remembering his promise to Abraham in verse 37 and 38 the play on language was self-evident in the Hebrew and it struck me because when I was looking at it in English and I see for example Ben Ami and then I see Amon with a capital A immediately in English something you've talked about often just because of the capital letter I'm already dealing with Amon as an ontology and I began the process of saying well isn't it the same root as the word people in Hebrew and so forth but what you said was very interesting that you don't even go through that process when you're reading in Hebrew because it's there in the language plain as day absolutely here let me throw a curveball I mean an Arab could be excited and start making an aside that Ammi in Arabic means my uncle because Am means uncle and then he would say, oh, there is from a father and from the uncle, it's the family and so on. But that works in Arabic. In Hebrew, Am is the people and thus the origin. And the author wanted to play on two parallel terms. Well, first of all, he started with the noun he had. Ammon, like very often Moab is mentioned as Moab, and then in other times in the Hebrew text, Bene Ammon, the, the children of Ammon, or Ammon. So the play is that it comes from before you. A parent is before you, and that's the idea. 
And the author found a way to say the, the way you have the play later, as we shall see with the children of Jacob, you know. And she called this one this because. But it fits the story. In other words, the author was not just trying to impress you with his knowledge of the original. I mean, it's his language. But it is functional, the story, in the story, that these are the sons of Lot. That's why the Moabites, the Ammonites, are related to Israel and Judah through Lot and Abraham. So I have two things. The original words, I mean, your two questions are very interesting. The second one was about, if you don't hear it in the original, you are bound to get stuck at one point. Not at every turn, but at one point. And the other one is the movement of the story, not in its original setting that in the old times people used to sleep together. I mean, because you can say about the Roman Empire and even the deities of the Egyptians and the Greeks, you know, a brother and a sister that fall in love, become husband and wife. But that's not the point. The key point in our story here is the Zera. And the Zera ultimately comes from God in the sense that God set it this way in Genesis 1. And that, to my mind, is really underscored in the story of the flood, where God does his covenant with the human being and everything that lives, and the nature, you know, again will have heat and cold and day and light and the vegetation and so on and so forth. And again, the vegetation as a gift of God. You see where the vine can become a little bit tricky because it is somehow planted by the human being. But the grass and the trees, when they are there, obviously you can tell me we plant also trees and so you can play games, you know, but generally speaking, olive and vineyard usually it's something that reflects sedentarism because it takes time and care and energy by you. Whereas the grass of the field. So these things we have to repeat. Just repeat, repeat, repeat until the people submit to it. There is no other way. Thank you very much, Father Paul. Thank you, thank you. And remember, all, you know, whatever the people do, you have to read scripture once a year. And then, you know, the Catholic said, well, it's too much, you know, let's do it over three years. And the Anglican said, uh, about five years. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you're playing games. Because ultimately, you're going to repeat. Meaning that you have to hear it again and again and again and again. But to try to devise something to save people from boredom, I told you, scripture was written to bore you. It's so darn boring, repetitive. 
And if it is not on purpose, then you're trying to tell me in your own way that the writers were stupid. But if the writers were stupid, why do you try to quote them? But that's what we want all the time. To have the cake and eat it every time, all the time. And that ain't going to happen in my podcasts. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Thank you very much, Father. Have, okay, have a great buddy. morning, sir. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network. 